Hello and welcome to Who Watches the World Cup with Dominic Archer and David Bryan. I'd like you to uh, to think for a moment and, and paint a picture in your head that whatever your job is, whatever it is you do, whatever it is that you love, that you are the best at it. Now, not only are you the best at it, but everybody knows you might be the best at whatever your job is or whatever it is that you love, but normally, other people don't really recognize it. You don't know if you're the best English teacher in the world. Well, you know, I know that I am, but other people might not recognize it. But imagine everyone, the idols that you grew up with, your family, the friends you had, your first girlfriend who broke your heart. Everybody knows that you are the greatest of all time and whatever it is that you do. But imagine that when it really counts, you suck. It's a bizarre situation that uh, we find Lionel Messi in. Having drawn 1-1 with Iceland, Argentina have underperformed again. And there is only one man who is purely responsible for that. And it is Argentina's captain. It is the man who carries a nation on his shoulders. And David Bryan is going to tell me some amazing facts about him now. Dave, what, what, what do you think happened? Why, why does Messi, the greatest of all time, potentially, what, what's going on with him? Why, why can't he even score a penalty? There is a question that is being pondered the world over following such a strange, strangely impotent performance by um, Argentina this week. It's been a surprise I think it has been a surprise not just because Messi is the player that he is but he does tend to step up when his country needs him but maybe he's waiting for this moment maybe he's waiting for a bit of drama Dom maybe <laughs> a bit like in, in the qualifying when in the final game against uh, Ecuador they were 1-0 down Argentina are they not going to make it to a World Cup mm. and then Messi goes uh, okay I'll just score a hat-trick and we'll win yeah. and then we'll go to the World Cup so maybe the first game of the the tournament is not anything he's interested in. <laughs> maybe he wants to wait to the third game when they really have to win. Um, but uh, no, of course, it's not something you'd expect from one of the two greatest players, like you say, perhaps of all time, if not definitely the world. I think this is uh, really interesting as well, given the the context in which the other teams are playing in. So... We are now, it is now the uh, the 18th, the 18th of June. Brazil played last night. Um, we saw in the last few days, well, today we're going to talk specifically about Group C and Group D, but we've seen France underperform, struggle, really, against Australia, struggle a win. We've seen Argentina held to a draw by Iceland. We saw... Brazil draw with Switzerland and Germany lose to Mexico. It seems like it's not just the best player in the world, but the best teams in the world that are having a really tough time just getting themselves together, getting organised. And I, I could not be happier. This is, to me, this is the perfect way for a World Cup to start. We all, we, after the uh, Portugal-Spain match, we all thought maybe the big teams are all going to be here and then the rest of the groups are going to be a foregone conclusion. But this is what I want. I want to see 
the big teams having to work hard because the little, well, let's call them little teams. I don't mean any disrespect by that, but in the comparatively, Switzerland compared to Brazil, Mexico compared to uh, to Germany, and Iceland compared to Argentina, especially those are the little nations, the little the little guys in that struggle. Mm. And I think a lot of these big teams have been a bit surprised at the the grit and the organisation that these smaller teams have shown in the matches that these big guys may be expected just to uh, to play off the park. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be a real struggle for for Argentina to bounce back from that, to bounce back from the situation because. If the little guys are able to hold off Argentina like this, what happens? Like we, You have to hope, if you are Argentina, that when you go through to the next round, assuming that they do, that when they come up against your, your France or whoever makes it through from, from Group C, that he can get it together. Because the World Cup is always seen as you know a miniature competition between... You know, Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo for, you know, who is, you know, who really is the greatest player in the world. But in his match, Ronaldo scored a hat-trick. And here, Messi couldn't even score from the penalty spot. So, yeah, I mean, he's, and it's, uh, it's a strange amount of pressure that this, that he must be feeling. Like, I think, I'm sure we're going to touch on it, but it's something that no, I think that no, let's call us uh, lay people. No one outside of those two men can ever really appreciate or understand that level of pressure mm. to be like you say to carrying to be carrying a nation the way that the way that they are yeah. um but as we've seen this week one man took that pressure and put on one of the greatest performances in that I can remember seeing in a world cup especially in the group stages and and one man seemed to be to be you know like he was running through treacle like he was weighed down not only by his legs, which didn't seem to be producing the magic that they were used to seeing, but also some something in his shoulder, something in his body language that 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 said to me, "I'm." He looked afraid. I think that's why mm. he looked. He looked afraid of the pressure that he was under. Yeah, which is startling when you consider that hours before the Spain Portugal match, Cristiano Ronaldo was condemned by the Spanish courts for tax evasion. So Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo, as we know, plays for Real Madrid. And like Messi a few years ago, who was found guilty for tax fraud, Cristiano Ronaldo has had exactly the same thing happen to him for tax evasion. Hours before Spain plays Portugal in the World Cup, the Spanish courts... uh, force upon Ronaldo an 18.8 million euro fine and a suspended jail sentence. They've, While it's unlikely that he's actually going to go to prison, hours before he goes out to play this game, he's fined almost 20 million euros and said, oh, and by the way, you might have to go to jail for two years. And he goes and he scores a hat-trick. But this is, <laughs> this is real-world pressure that is being put on Ronaldo's shoulder and as you say he goes out and performs majestically whereas Messi it seems like Messi is perhaps upset that Ronaldo even beat him at tax evasion right like (laughs) it's such a bizarre situation to find him in that I, I 
I don't know what it is. And again, watching moving from Argentina back to uh, back to France, watching the French play Australia. Uh, I'm I'm living in China at the moment. I'm watching all of these from from uh, from China. So I'm there are some matches I can't see because I have to. I unfortunately I have to go to sleep. But the Chinese well, commentator... Well, only, only if you're not as dedicated as you're supposed to be, Dominic. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really letting the podcast down. But, I, <laughs> when, but watching the, the France-Australia game, the Chinese commentators are incredibly biased in this match for, for France-Australia. Um, they are incredibly biased towards France. Now, when we think about Western sporting philosophy, we, we generally support the underdog. Um, whereas the the Chinese commentators were saying, no, France is the best team. They have one of the best teams in the world. We want them to go out there and perform at their best. And yet they didn't. And France kind of sucked, especially the first half. The second half is when all the goals came anyway. But the first 45 minutes of of France-Australia is... Yeah. Well, I mean, after the first, I think in the first four or five minutes, they had quite three or four shots at goal. And people were... commentary in, in Britain and people I was watching it were thinking, oh, here we go. France is going to absolutely tsunami the, uh, the Australian back line with, with shots on goal. But then after that first four or five minutes, either France's early steam wore off very quickly or Australia uh, steeled themselves. And then suddenly it's turned into an actual, an actual contest where, like you say, France looked, looked average for at least that first 45 minutes. And I wonder where the, the pressure on this French team is coming from. Because they're coming off the back of, they just won the Euros, right? They won the 2016 Euros. No, they, not... they were runners-up. They were runners-up. Oh. Yeah. oh, well, they're, still, they're... They, got, yeah. they got to the final and their, their main man, Griezmann, won the golden boot. So that, 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 that's, you know, that's a successful tournament nonetheless. Yeah. And Australia isn't even a footballing nation. Like obviously they're they're good enough to get through to the World Cup, but football uh, or soccer, <laughs> yeah, it must be like their their fourth most it, popular it, sport. Yeah, right? it's <laughs> at least third or fourth most popular sport, and this is uh, you know I don't want to go too much into my other comic book podcast here, Dave, because you know you know I like comic books. Listen to the other awful commentary nice. podcast about about comic books, please. Nice plug. Thank you. Um, but the uh, I don't know if, you, if how much you know about this, but in Melbourne, in in Australia, the Etihad Stadium, Australia's Etihad Stadium, was just rebranded by Disney to now being called the Marvel Stadium. So no way! That, I did not yeah, know that. That this okay. attracted my attention because you know no if Marvel if Marvel Comics is being uh, is being posted anywhere i want in so i thought i'll I'll look i'll look it up just to see uh just check it out it's it's a melbourne yeah it's a melbourne stadium and uh it's home to five different aussie rules football clubs you've got the the mighty saint kilda who have only ever won one premier premiership but it was in 1966 when England won their only World Cup. So, good year, good year. you know, you have to you have to kind of have some support there. But then Essendon as well, North Melbourne, Western Bulldogs, Carlton. These are all Aussie rules football, the AFL teams that play in what will be the, the Marvel Stadium. Then you have two different cricket teams. Then you have uh, the Melbourne Storm rugby team. Then at uh, the very bottom of the list... Melbourne Victory Football Club, the A League, the soccer, the soccer team, right? Like, wow, that's, that must be the hardest working groundsman in the world. 
<laughs> yeah. we, we, they've got to re, repaint and relay the turf. That's a lot of grass. That's a lot of that's grass lot. to take care of. Yeah. And that's yeah, what well, what a stadium to be putting on to be putting on so many teams all year. Um, but this just goes to show that uh, you know soccer, as it's known, ugh, it, it's not even a big deal in Australia. When we we were talking before the match, and you you said. France uh, have got a really solid team, and Australia have got Tim Cahill. Well, Tim Cahill is like 38 years old or something <laughs> ridiculous, right? And he didn't even play against France. He didn't even play. So how is it that one of, if not the strongest team in, in the World Cup, you know, is uh, scraping a victory with a penalty and an own goal against a nation that doesn't even really care about the sport? <laughs> are you asking me yeah oh, am i supposed to answer this question uh concisely and you know uh, you, uh, you you got two minutes go for it <laughs> two minutes <laughs> shit but i mean we're, uh, again the same the same we're looking at uh, messi and and ronaldo ronaldo i mean he definitely did turn up messi barely turned up paul pogba won man of the match in in france australia but and, and yes, technically the own goal you could consider that a Paul Pogba goal. But Pogba didn't do anything that I saw the whole game until he scrapes a goal that isn't even credited as his. Yeah, it was a, it was a strange one. The only the first thing I thought about when after seeing Argentina and and hearing about the Brazil result um, this morning, because even though I could have watched the Brazil Switzerland game, I. Shamefully, did not. I chose to spend time watching a film with my girlfriend, uh, and I'm re- and I'm really nah, sorry. Now you're that. the one. You were the one letting the podcast down. Why <laughs> are you doing this? It's you now. It's your fault. <laughs> I know we're letting everyone down. <laughs> but um, when France scraped that result against Australia, and people, and it was it was a surprise um, that they had such a such a hard time against them. For everyone except uh, I think Phil Neville in the BBC studio predicted a nil-nil, so at least he had an idea of what what was coming up. Yeah. Um, now you can compare those three results or four results as well, if you include Germany, Mexico, France at least showed a bit of something. Whereas in the Argentina game, you could have it was almost just like a eleven or fourteen random or Argentinians wearing the the jersey are out there who had the famous players' names on their shirts. Like there was mm. no no semblance of uh what we would expect from that team. Um and Germany as well were very surprisingly lackluster and didn't create anything like as much as, as they would. Um and I think there's some one difference you can draw between at least between France and Argentina is that Messi and kind of inexplicably, but Messi does carry the entire weight of the nation and the, the team on his shoulders, like like Hugh um, mentioned before. But he really shouldn't have to. If you can imagine a, a world where Lionel Messi was never born, and I don't mean that in a, in a harsh way, <laughs> I just mean <laughs> if the Argentina football team existed and without Messi ever uh, being involved, then they would still be one of the one of the strongest uh, footballing nations in the world. Especially with their front line, their attacking players are insane. Mm. If even if completely disregarding Messi, you have Sergio Aguero, Paulo Dybala, Gonzalo Higuain, Angel Di Maria. Like those are world-beating players on their own. So why? <laughs> so it's almost this strange curse that Argentina national team is, has right now, where they have one of the two greatest players in the world, if not of all time, 
and yet are still a really good squad, but somehow they can't perform. And I'm left to wonder, would Argentina be better without Lionel Messi? And is that, that's quite a big question, I realise, but I think if you take away that element of, of pressure and that sole, the, the focal point, and it all being about Lionel Messi, and you share some of that um, pressure with the rest, out for the rest of the squad, maybe they perform better. I don't know, that's, that's only a question that you know, we can't really answer, but that's not something you can put on the France squad. That's not mm. something you can put on the Germany squad, who ha- have a number of arguably equally talented players without that focal talisman that everyone expects everything from. Mm. And Brazil are almost the same. I mean, Neymar is the big poster boy, but if you look at their front three, it's the, it's the Neymar, Coutinho and Gabriel Jesus show. It's not just Neymar. You know, it's not. It's not. If Neymar doesn't perform, a Brazil not going to score. Brazil not going to score goals. I think that's unlikely. But for some reason, with Argentina, that is the case. I mean, in qualifying, even it was Messi who who dragged them through. Like I said, with like scoring a hat trick in the the last game to get them through. Um, and but that was even though he because he struggled up until that point. Out of the 19 qualifying um, games, Messi only played half of them, but still managed to... Uh, sorry, only played seven of them. Hang on, let me, let me check my notes here. I yeah, don't trust Messi. your notes, David. No, I do. I, I, do. Don't, I don't trust my handwriting. That's what <laughs> um, Yeah, so Messi scored uh, their most goals despite only playing in half of the qualifying games. Mm. So... With while he is still a, f- a fixture in the squad, it seems like everything is on his shoulders. Even though they have all these world class players, and yeah, as I've as I've mentioned before, France they can share share that responsibility. Yeah, Griezmann, I suppose, is their their main man, but he's got great, exciting support, and people expect great things from young players like Mbappe and Dembele and and Pogba in the midfield. But then they've also got Benzema, they've got Giroud, they have players who you would expect to get goals, just like Brazil and. Germany have shown it as a as a cohesive team. They don't really never need one player to do it for them. They they work so well as a unit. Uh, so as an, as in regards to this, Australia seem to be an anomaly. Mm. Not Australia, sorry, Argentina <laughs> seem to be the anomaly. I think there's definitely some credit that needs to be thrown towards Iceland as well because uh, oh, sure. it's, it's not just that Argentina didn't show up. It's that, again, you know my level of football knowledge and football analysis, you know, uh, leave me to the politics, right? Like, I, I can't, uh, you know, I can play championship manager 08, but, you know, FIFA has got <laughs> beyond me now. F- you know, football is, is not necessarily my wheelhouse. But I'm watching the way that the Argen- uh, sorry, the, uh, the Icelandic defence is setting up. And every time Messi is on the ball, they have five separate defenders around him. And yeah. like every move he makes, the, the midfield drops back, the defenders move up. He, he is isolated and he's just cut off. They neutered him. And this, again, this isn't a team like Germany where we look, you know, with it, Iceland doesn't have Mats Hummels in defence where you're looking at Hummels and going, okay, this guy is serious. Like, this is just a really solid Icelandic team that knows exactly what they have to do. And it seems like they they cut Messi off, and everything else falls apart. 
Like the whole team is feeding through this one player. Yeah, but... maybe that's more of an indictment of the Argentinian system. If that's mm. their intention, if the the coach is saying give the ball to Messi and then we'll probably do okay, then you're right. All the opposition have to do is go. Okay, well let's just stop him, and yeah. then they won't have a plan B. Yeah, but why Iceland... would you if you if you've got Messi? Yeah, Iceland is a really interesting country as well. Since this this uh, one all draw with Argentina. I don't, I don't know what's going on in the UK, but the Chinese media has gone crazy with Icelandic love. They love it. Excellent. They're crazy. Every time I turn on the TV now, there's something about the thunderclap on the news. They're like, they're <laughs> I like love what, the what is this thunderclap? And well, why are they doing it? And what does it mean? And so I thought I'd, I'd do a little bit of research. Turns out the thunderclap isn't some like Viking war chant. It actually comes from Motherwell. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I suppose China wouldn't have uh, been aware of it since because it emerged in Euro sixteen when yeah. they surprised a lot of people in the, in the progression they made throughout Euro sixteen and um, yeah, so I suppose China probably don't keep abreast of uh, the Euros as we yeah as we yeah yeah why would they why would they yeah. why would they so then again I was thinking well maybe you know people always talk about Scandinavian countries and and Iceland as well as you know having these strong societies like they're always topping lists of the richest country or the happiest country in the world or one of these now thinking like maybe there is something in that that gives some kind of team cohesion that you know there's something beyond football that you know we're just not quite seeing so i thought well i'll, I'll look into that and it turns out that iceland is as divided as any other country in europe at the moment in the last two years they've had four different prime ministers and oh, wow. that their current prime minister she's a, a socialist environmentalist she's the, the leader of the the left-wing green green movement the green party in in iceland but her coalition is using the two right-wing conservative parties that were voted out because of their corruption and so the people, her supporters on the left, are somewhat upset that she would ally with the very people they are voting against. And yeah. she's trying to hold this nation together that is wracked with, uh, with political divide. And she's, she said herself, she, this, is, uh, this is a quote from her. I, I, I wasn't going to use her name because I don't want to mispronounce uh, Icelandic names. So I'll, I'll I'm sorry, sorry, sorry for the butchering. But the name, her name is uh, Katrin Jacob's uh, daughter. Jacob's daughter. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. But it looks like Jacob's daughter, I imagine. K K yes. Katrin Her dad was Jacob's called Jacob. No doubt. That, that's, yeah, that's, that's what I'm assuming. But she, <laughs> says, she says here um, a lot has happened in Icelandic politics and people really don't trust politicians icelandic politicians i can't blame them but now what we need to do is think how we can rebuild trust in politics and this sounds exactly the same as every other country um in europe at this point and well, around the world again in in australia it was only uh the end of of 2017 where they legalized gay marriage because the the people the voters were, had progressed to a point years ago where they wanted gay marriage but the government was still wildly conservative and wouldn't pass the law so they had to have a referendum and it was 68 percent in favor of gay marriage which is an by referendum standards is overwhelming yeah. go australia um, so yeah the australian people were ready for this change but the conservative government was was holding them 
uh, was holding them back. And all of these countries are divided um, in in ways that, uh, you know, you were, I always expect to, to, to show themselves uh, somehow in their identity. But I think that's one of the things that's so powerful about the thunderclap is what the thunderclap represents is that that terrifying unity right yeah, just that, that that harmony s- the yeah the just that sound of it echoes and one uh, yeah one sound many voices one vo- uh, yeah one sound I, re- yeah. I really like that yeah it's incredible and the the other thing that the chinese news was uh were doing just before just after the brazil match was they were showing a history of uh brazilian ronaldo the real ronaldo uh, <laughs> a ridge og ronaldo yeah og ronaldo oh. R nine baby. Yeah, and and the, they were showing highlights from him, and the Brazilian team then walks out holding hands, and the Brazilian football team, where in in ninety four World Cup, the ninety eight World Cup, they are they have linked hands as they walk out onto the football pitch, and it's like this is a team that is united as they go out onto the pitch, and I think there's just something about that 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 shows, and uh, yeah, I, I think that's really interesting actually what you're saying about them. About Iceland and their politics, because I think the football team is the exact opposite. We mentioned in previous episodes about uh, nations whose um, squads seem so united, partly because they've all grown up at the same level at the same time. Yeah, Spain and Germany's squads, like their their golden generations, were as such because as we've as we spoke to, I spoke about, um, they were in the under seventeens together. They're all in the under twenty ones together. They all made it to the senior squad together. And Iceland have that very much, very much have that same kind of unity, but you know they've come about it in a different way. Not because they chose to invest in youth and focus on building from the ground up, but because they're such a tiny country. I mean, they are the smallest in terms of population and landmass, the smallest country to ever come to a World Cup. And there's an interesting little tidbit for you: uh, the population of Moscow alone is forty times the population of the entire country of Iceland. <laughs> So yeah, but it's it's it's, it's three hundred and forty thousand people, right? Yeah, 300... it's, so it's incredible, and so to have such a small pool of people to draw from, and yet to have, I guess we've used the term "golden generation" a lot in this podcast, but this certainly is Iceland's first golden generation in footballing terms. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's really interesting because. You know, like London is is a population of of eight million people, and Bristol, you know, my my home city, the city I, I was I was born in, has a population of five hundred thousand people, which means you know we we would expect Bristol Rovers or maybe Bristol City uh, to to be operating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll 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 leave that for for who watches the shit. Uh, which is uh, the podcast coming <laughs> debuting in in August after the World Cup? Um, no, but you would expect Iceland to be operating around the same level as Bristol City or Bristol Rovers, right? Or they, they have a, yeah. s- second a similar of the tier domestic football, not uh, not at the greatest football competition in the world. Yeah, they are the thirty one other greatest footballing nations in the world. Yeah, it it really is kind of crazy. Now the the final thing that we'll uh, we'll get into uh, into quickly. I have nothing to say politically about Croatia, Nigeria. These are two countries that, as far as I know, don't interact with each other on, on the international stage very often. Um, I can't imagine they would, no. No, I, I, don't, I don't feel, you know, uh, I don't know how much they, they really have in common. 
do you have anything to say about uh, about their their running? Um, I didn't look a great deal into Croatia and Nigeria, especially when they're in the group with Argentina. And to be honest, I had a I've had a good feeling about Iceland. Um, but if you're going to break it down between Croatia and Nigeria, I think the result they had on on Saturday kind of is indicative of how they compare on a footballing sense. Um, Nigeria had a great spell um, in a, some time ago uh, on the world stage in terms of football and they had some really great players. I remember watching a Nigeria team that had Nwankwo Kanu and JJ Akocha and great exciting players like that. But um, when they were like the African nation that um, surpassed most others, I think Camer- Cameroon were also good around that time and Samuel Eto'o was at, at his prime. But I think they're going through a bit of a rebuilding process at the moment with um, having won three African Cup of Nations in the past. Um, they did win one in 2013, but they didn't even qualify for the, the one uh, last year. Um, so I think they are going through this rebuilding process and you can see that with some of these young players that are coming coming up. And I noticed watching the game against Croatia, they have some players starting and uh, keep, pre- presumably they're key players uh, for the national team who don't really strong features for their clubs um, wherever they're playing. And Alex Awobi um, started both the friendly against England before the World Cup and this game against Croatia, but he's a bit part player for his club, Arsenal. Same with uh, uh, Kelechi Iheanacho, who came through uh, um, Man City and was really exciting, scored goals for Man City. Then I think they sold him out to, initially loaned him to Leicester and then sold him. And again, he's a young player who's emerging. Um, Ahmed Moussa, same at Leicester as a young player who's emerging. Wilfred Ndidi is a fairly young player who's had a couple of years at Leicester as well. Victor Moses at Chelsea. Um, there's there's this uh, air of potential about Nigeria and I don't think we can expect a great deal from them at this tournament. Maybe give it two years. Maybe in the, in the interim they can do well in the African Cup of Nations. I think come the next World Cup in four years' time, they may well be a bit more of a force. But now if you're comparing them to Croatia... With a mm. world class stars who play in the Champions League regularly, with Luka Modric, particularly at Real Madrid, their, their captain, who's one of the greatest central midfielders currently, I think, in the world. Mm. And then he's partner, partnering, partnered, sorry, by Ivan Rakitic of Barcelona, who again plays, wins La Ligas and Champions Leagues. Um, and then a f- featured goal scorers like Mario Mandzukic, who can, has been scoring at the highest level for a long time. And in defence, even, Dejan Lovren. For Liverpool's had a good season after a dodgy start to his life in the Premier League with uh, with my local team Southampton. Oh. <laughs> I got nothing against Southampton. I, I no, I left the year I left Southampton. They got promoted to the Premier League, so I'm disappointed about oh, that thanks. because thanks I never. I, yeah, yeah, I my leaving it. got them promoted to the exactly. Premier League. You were holding, you were holding them back, and then once the, the weight of your presence was lifted, they could they could relax yeah. in performance. And so, yeah, we, we we appreciate that. Yeah, thank. It's a shame I'm not Argentinian because that would explain what's going on with Messi these days as well. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe. Uh, well, you know, China aren't in the World Cup. Maybe that's your fault as well. For there you go. Maybe. You're you're welcome. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah, but then, the, uh, yeah, I I think, especially after what we saw from Iceland against Argentina, and um, I think Argentina will probably uh, get stronger in the next two games, learning something from that Iceland game. Um, but I think uh, between, I think Nigeria will probably finish bottom of the group. Um, and it really will be about Croatia and Iceland between the two of mm-hmm. 
who can nick that that second that second place and Iceland actually out qualified uh, sorry they finished above um Croatia in their qualifying group for this tournament so they actually and as well as while Croatia have all these great household world, uh, names and world class talents Iceland have already proven that at, on a competitive level they are mathematically better than Croatia so I wouldn't be surprised to if we'd see Croatia or Argentina um, disappoint and go out, but the ice and progress. So that's your your prediction for uh, for for Group D. Let's let's take a look back at, at Group C and see how we think there. Because we again we haven't mentioned uh, Denmark versus Peru, which was p- kind of uneventful. But I mean, one of the reasons it was uneventful was because the world's most handsome goalkeeper. Uh, Schmeichel, Kasper Schmeichel. Um, <laughs> I knew you were going to bring up how much you love Kasper Schmeichel. God, let, let me tell you, that guy. You know what? You know, there's a lot of shit that gets spoken about diversity in, um, in TV and, and cinema. And there are a lot of people... Oh, I, don't, I don't want to get overly political in, in, you know, in how I feel about things. But a lot of people say, like, Oh my God, I can't believe there's a woman in Star Wars. Or, Oh, I can't believe the Stormtrooper was black, right? And yeah, it's yeah, like, you know, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the reason that people feel that way is because they look at their own culture and they feel that they are they are losing part of their culture. And I I fear to call being blonde a minority, right? Because it's not really. But <laughs> but it, it depends but where being, you are. I mean, you're blonde and you live in China, so you are. Yeah, well, in in that case, I literally <laughs> am. But I mean, even even in the UK, right? Uh, there are. I'm not quite on ginger level, but being but being <laughs> blonde, close. yeah, yeah, I'm 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 close <laughs> enough to have been called a Nazi at school, right? Like, oh, we're studying Nazi Germany. Oh, well, Dom's blonde, so he must be a Nazi, right? Like, like it's rare enough for that. So, for me to see a team of people who look like me, right, and to to watch Denmark and be like, God, I wish I, I like. I wish I was that handsome. Like watching the the Denmark team, it it's 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 a uh, it, it's a nice feeling, and it's that thing where like, if if you could show if uh, that feeling should instantly defeat any arguments against uh, Star Wars or Black Panther or or any of these different things where people are like, oh, I I just don't want to see black people. You know, well, fuck off. <laughs> and anyway, sorry. Well, I, I, it'll be I, it'll I, be interesting to see to know actually because. Um... Denmark have a couple of black players in their squad. Mm. The, the, I mean, they stand out, obviously, because they are a minority, but if it, it would be interesting to, to know what the population of countries like Denmark feel about having black players in their squad, when particularly, uh, historically, it's been all all white, all blonde, all yeah. the time. Yeah. I mean... Like, I've had, famously, I remember um, Emmanuel Elisa Debe, Nigerian-born, uh, playing for Poland in a country where undoubtedly he probably experienced a lot of racial abuse yeah. from his own fans I think Denmark yeah. probably feels a bit more chilled than uh, than Poland in the in the early 2000s but well I don't know uh, we're, be, we're, we're looking at we're looking at a group here with group C where they again group C is uh one filled with with countries that have that struggle with uh with racism and france again the uh, macron uh macron was just elected uh president but he was very that was like that did not seem like it was going to go that way um 
it was it seemed like the the right was going to storm france the same with marianne le pen that she was going to storm france the same way that the brexit stormed the uk that trump stormed america then australia has one of the most stringent immigration policies in the entire world and australia again is one of these strange conservative nations that keeps syrian refugees stranded on an island off the coast of australia for processing Denmark, again, ridiculously stringent, like, very difficult immigration policy. Um, yeah, well, no wonder they have very few non-white players that ever come yeah, and yeah. play for them. Because yeah. no, no non-white people are allowed into, you know, start new lives and have children who grow up mm. there and then can qualify to play for their, their adopted nation. Yeah, which is in vast difference, uh, like, an incredible counterpoint to Peru. Right. This is something I, I recently discovered because I, I don't know how much you know about Peruvian politics, but personally, it's not oh, in my, so much. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's not in my top 10 countries that I, I, I spend a lot of time researching. But Peruvian politics, it turns out, is absolutely fascinating. Um, how about that? Yeah, well, we were, as we were just saying, the, the France, Denmark, Australia, these are nations that, that struggle with, with race and, uh, and issues of immigration. Peru seems to have a, an opposite situation. I don't want to say that that's not part of it at all because you know, I, don't, I don't have a full understanding of, of the system. But researching this, I was really struck by how uh, Peru, as well as, as, well as Iceland... Uh, has fought with issues of corruption, and they uh, they just had to replace their president. Their old president was uh, Pedro Pablo, which are two very South American names, <laughs> Kuczynski, who is Pedro Pablo Kuczynski, who is the son of Polish immigrants who fled uh, Nazi Germany, who uh, oh, who really? moved who moved to Peru. And um, let me just double check that that it's definitely Polish. Uh, sorry, sorry, a Ju- a Jewish uh, a German Jewish father and, and a Swiss mother, who uh, who fled uh, fled to Peru, and then his main opponent in that election was uh, a woman called Keiko Fujimori, who was a Japanese, Japanese Peruvian, yeah. who like I, I thought a Japanese Peruvian. That's got to be rare. Then Talk it turns yeah. yeah. Well, then it turns out that she is the daughter of former uh, Peruvian president Alberto Fujimori, who is also a Peru- Japanese Peruvian who had to flee Peru because of campaign corruption. And again, That's it's so surprising. I, I will I will admit, like through my through my years of growing up obsessed with football, playing. Like championship manager, yeah, all those old championship managers up through FIFA and all and such things. A lot of my understanding of cultures from all around the world, and I've always been interested in in our cultures in other countries. And I used to have a giant world map on my wall when I was a kid, and my parents would get me to uh, name a country, and I had to point to it, or they'd name a country, and I had to name uh, tell them their capital and stuff like yeah. that. I was really, always really interested in the world as a whole, but so much of what I, I learned was through football, yeah, and particularly. Um, with uh, uh, the way um, immigration and can, can affect generations that pass. Um, so looking at a country like Peru's national football team, for example, it's very clear that 
they all, every single one I'm looking at now has um, some kind of Central American Latin sounding name. Mm. There are no, there are no Polish, uh, sorry, what was it? Swiss, German looking yeah. uh, names in that squad. There are no um, Japanese looking names in, in that squad. I mean, Jefferson Farfan is the one that really stands out as not being a, a Cueva or an Aquino or a Corzo or a Miguel Trauco, you know, Paolo Guerrero. These are all very Spanish sounding names. So without me looking into it, without me delving into any research of my own, which you have, I would make the assumption that it was kind of maybe quite an insular country. country. And since, you know, that's um, Spanish infusion, however many hundreds of years ago, um, nothing really has changed. Mm. But you're telling, you're telling me the opposite. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. It, it's one of those things where it goes to show that um, you never really know a country until you uh, until you really dive into. Yeah, it's uh, great. It's fascinating. Dive I love into it. it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I think we've uh, we've done a pretty solid analysis of group group C's and group C and D there. So next time we will be uh, looking at. Group E and F. Now, some of these are are teams that have already played, so uh, we'll be able to reflect on on some of the results there. This is uh, Brazil and Brazil and, and Switzerland have already played. Serbia have already played. Oh, they've already played Costa Rica and Germany. Mexico was was last night, so tonight should be uh, Sweden, South Korea. So yeah. we'll uh, we'll we'll have uh, some results to to go off uh, and compare for that one. Um. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. Share it to to everyone that you know that is interested in the World Cup. Again, this this podcast is kind of interesting because its shelf life is only a month or two, so we want to reach as many listeners as as quickly as possible. So please, uh, yeah, let show it to everyone. And um, if it goes well, then maybe we can try who watches the shit, a Bristol City specific <laughs> podcast uh, in which. I That's analyze. pretty niche. It, it is, and it will be brutal. Uh, <laughs> there, is, <laughs> there is no two ways about it. Um, yeah. Parental advisory on that one. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, thank you, uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you again next time. Adios. My stepdad made my mum listen to it, and mum went, mum went, oh, it was a bit long. <laughs> <laughs>